Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Do Justice. My name is Chris Orm. I'm your host. And today we're continuing our conversation. Uh, we're going to talk about that nexus of, of worship and, and justice and how it shapes who we are and how we do uh, faith and engage in the world. really privileged today to have two guests. First, we have uh, Peter Fargo, the co-founder of Climate Vigil, and our new friend, Isaac, Isaac Wardell, uh, creative director of the Porter's Gate. Fellas, thanks for joining. I uh, really appreciate you being with us today. Peter, let's start with you. Uh, tell us who you are uh, and and what, what it is that you do. Thanks, Chris. It's really good to be with you and the Do Justice community. I am calling from Baker City, Oregon. I would self-describe as a Christ follower and a dad. And I had the privilege to say yes to a calling a few years ago to step further into the climate movement and to do that uh, from the heart space, from the worship space. And very, very excited to be able to do that with Isaac and others who have also said yes to that calling. Yeah. So glad to be with you today. Thanks for yeah, having thanks. me. Thanks. Yeah, we really do appreciate it. And, and Isaac Wardell, welcome. Yeah, thanks very much for having us on today. Uh, my background is very much in the worship leading space. Uh, so let's see, I'm 42 years old, and I guess it means about 25 years ago in the late 1990s, I started leading worship in kind of a big evangelical context in the US. And, uh, and then went on to study music uh, in college, and I kind of uh, swung in the direction of hymnody and really learning about the history of worship. And then over the course of leading worship for professionally for the next 10 or 15 years, um, I had a very profound experience of getting a couple of opportunities to collaborate with other musicians, uh, with other worship leaders across denominational lines, sort of um, doing these ecumenical collaborations. I did it a couple of times at conferences, a couple of other sort of special opportunities. And it really, um, it was a profound experience for me because hmm. when I had these opportunities to work with people coming from really different sort of ecclesiological and theological backgrounds, I felt like the conversations we had around worship and formation were so much deeper and richer and more textured. Mm -hmm. And so it was because of those uh, experiences that about five years ago, my wife and I set out to start this project that we called the Porter's Gate Worship Project, where by design, uh, about once or twice a year, we gather together groups of 25 to 50 uh, scholars, songwriters, pastors, theologians, people that have particular kind of vocational expertise and we have conversations about various pressing issues for worship uh for which we need new songs mm -hmm. and so we've uh, we've done several of these collaborations over the last five years and this newest one is a collaboration of the porter's gate with the climate vigil movement to create new worship songs uh around uh, environmental justice that's awesome. And like, I want to, we, we do want to hear the story of sort of how the climate vigil uh, found its, 
its origins, how it was, how it was birthed into this world. Like, um, but let's have a little fun. Um, we're talking about worship and, you know, a lot of us, I think a lot of our listeners too, well, we think worship and we think, well, we automatically, we jump to music. Um, not to say that worship is only music. I mean, some of us come from other liturgical traditions where, you know, there's, there are a lot of different components in our worship, but musically right now, uh, I want to ask you, Peter, what's on heavy rotation on your playlist right now? Like, what's that, you know, and 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 you have to be honest. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's this new album I'm really excited about. It's called Climate Vigil Songs, and it yeah. came out last Friday. Yeah. I've had it on continuous repeat for the last six great, days. Great shameless Over plug. to make it seven. Shameless plug. Uh and honestly, I have been listening to it nonstop. It's been the soundtrack of my life in the last week. And I love every single song. I have a new favorite song each day. Yeah. And today I would say my favorite song is The Kingdom is Coming, mm-hmm. which is a powerful duet between Tyrion and Josh Garrels. And there's a refrain that I love. The kingdom is coming. We are praying for it. We are waiting for it and we are working for it. And I love that because I know those are all the things that I feel called to do as a Christian responding to our climate crisis. So it's ministering to me in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And our listeners got to hear a little glimpse of that song in the intro of this episode. And, and uh, Isaac, what about you? What's on, what's on rotation for you right now? Well, obviously, like Peter, I have been listening to Climate Vigil songs yeah. uh, because I can tell you want to have more fun with your question. I'll give you just a, a little bit more, <laughs> just a little bit more nuance around the answer. Uh, I have four young children, and so uh, I'm constantly having to clean my Spotify playlist of just nothing but their music selection. So if, if we put aside the kids' bop and all the stuff that my kids are into, yeah. and kind of get back down to the things that I actually choose to listen to, uh, I find that I always have kind of a, I have like a little internal battle going where. Uh, my temptation is basically to only ever listen to what I call friend rock and friend rock is the genre of music of whatever my friends are making. I sort of need to listen to it, give feedback, all that stuff. So in general, that what's heaviest in my rotation is basically just write records of, uh, of people that I'm friends with. Yeah. But, um, but I am currently living uh, in Belgium right now where I'm doing a graduate degree in liturgical studies. Mm-hmm. So I have been trying to appreciate a little bit more of the local culture and listening to Jacques Borel, who is uh, maybe the most famous uh, 20th century Belgian pop musician. Most of his songs are in French and they haven't been translated, mm-hmm. but it's very much, uh, it's got kind of like a uh, sort of the Django Reinhardt of Belgium. And there's a whole oh. museum in Brussels dedicated to him. So Django Reinhardt, and I'm sorry, uh, Jacques Borel is in my, uh, in my playlist this, today. Okay, deep cuts today. I, mean, I like, I really like it. There's some good references there. I will say, so um, I just got back from a retreat with my team um, and we were in a, like a, a, a woodland retreat center. And in preparation for, for our, you know, upcoming conversation, I too have been, listening uh to uh, the kingdom is coming and it's like you know walking down a path <laughs> on my own with my earbuds in uh the spirit moved and 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 things started happening so i'm i'm excited for our listeners to really get into that um yeah yeah so peter let's let's start at the beginning tell us about the moment um you realized that we needed climate vigil. How did it start? 
That is a great question. And I wish that I could respond with one moment. I think as many of us experience in our walk with God, there is a journey and it begins, uh, it middles and it ends, uh, hopefully never. Uh, For me, it began with a Holy Spirit moment, uh, one that I had never experienced before. And it was that still small voice. It was this, this message that I felt in my heart uh, between sleeping and waking, which said, get up, which makes sense when one is sleeping, uh, but get up and tell them what's happening to my creation. I haven't shared that with many people, but since it's just us and your thousands of other listeners, I thought maybe I would come out with that. We're all friends here. So (laughs) thank you. Yeah. Uh, So I had no idea what to do with that. Mm. Uh, I knew about our need to respond to climate change. I knew about all of the threats that God's creation and all of God's people who depend on his creation uh, are facing. But I didn't know what I needed to do with that calling. Mm -hmm. So I pulled a Jonah and I got on the first boat to Tarshish. (laughs) Not proud of that. Yeah. Uh, But it was in the form of getting busy with my job, uh, getting busy with life activities, with travel, with all of the things. Mm-hmm. And it took a great big fish to swallow me whole and get me back on track. And that fish's name was Samuel, my second born, my son. So uh, Sam was born in 2019, in January. And a few weeks later, he opened his eyes and looked in mine for the first time. Really looked at me. And that was like getting swallowed whole. And that kid, you know, those of us who have children know what it's like to be in the belly of that whale. Uh, and they, they swallow you whole and spit you out over and over again. <laughs> I finally knew what I had to do. Uh, I, I had to say yes to the calling and pray. And my prayer was, God, I have no idea what to do. Will you help me. I can't solve climate change, but I know you can. And through us, you can. Mm -hmm. And when I said yes to that calling, something 
changed. Mm-hmm. Something, uh, it's like a, a switch flipped in my soul. And the climate crisis ended for me personally. That crisis of faith or that crisis of decision was over for me. And what was remaining was to join with others to pray and act, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Mm. And that is what led to Climate Vigil, uh, a calling to invite others to pray and act in response to our climate crisis. Mm-hmm. To do that with words, to do that through worship, through music. I have a pastor that I grew up with who used to say, if you're singing, you're praying twice. So music calls us to pray. Mm. And there are also ancient symbols of prayer, like lighting a candle that allow us to get out of that headspace we can be stuck in and to activate the heart and the soul and also to activate our hands, a, uh, a physical manifestation of prayer. Yeah. So all together, this journey led to light a candle mm. for our climate and uh, led to uh, listening to the Porter's Gate Worship Project. Uh, right. It was the soundtrack of the work that I was called to do. And that was another candle lit and a realization that the Porter's Gate and worship music in general had an important part to play in calling us deeper into this justice work that we need to do. First, thank you for your um, for your vulnerability. I feel like we kind of, we got to see into something that maybe we weren't intended to see, but I'm glad we did. Like, thank you for that. I really, um, I want to, I want to get to November 6th, uh, 2021, but I want to hear from Isaac. Isaac, what, so how, how did this connection happen for you? Like what was happening in your heart and, and in your space? Well, uh, like you, Peter, thanks for, I'm grateful for Peter kind of sharing from us that uh, very personal reflection on it. Uh, I think my, my, my answer will be pretty categorically different. Thinking a little bit more um, strategically and sort of vocationally about the question, but um, you know, anybody who has been following the work of the Porter's Gate for the last five years, will quickly recognize that um, talking and thinking about justice is at the heart of, uh, of what we do creatively. That's not because uh, of looking at justice as somehow like polemic against worship or liturgy, but actually seeing, I mean, I, I'm here in Belgium, like I said, doing this, uh, doing this graduate fellowship and the graduate fellowship I'm doing, my master's thesis is, is on this very subject about the fact that um, the work of spiritual formation is inextricably tied to the work of justice that we are are formed. Uh, we are formed in our worship and in our sort of liturgical experiences for how to see the world in a in more just way. So that's something that has been very close to my heart for, um, for many years, even before 
uh, starting the Porter's Gate. But with pretty much all of our Porter's Gate conversations over the last five years, whether those conversations are about the nature of work and vocation or about hospitality or lament, um, all of our projects have had sort of justice at the core. And so then when I started having conversations with uh, with Peter about a year and a half ago, um, one of the first things that I that I told Peter was that um, it has kind of been, it's been in my mind that this subject of environmental justice is sort of, is such a deep well, and there's so many conversations to be had around it, that it, 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 it feels too big to like fit into another conversation about justice. It feels like it's its own world of conversations. Mm-hmm. And so I, I told Peter that I've kind of had it in my mind that it would be great for us to, uh, to do a Porter's Gate project on the subject of environmental justice in kind of a focused way. And so then as Peter and I started talking about what his hopes were for with his work with the Million Prayer Mission and you know later Climate Vigil, that uh, it felt like uh, both the kind of ethos of what uh, our organizations were all about and the timing, uh, it all really felt like okay. This is this feels like it's God's timing for us to uh, for us to jump into this, mm-hmm. and uh, and so then that kind of began the process of thinking through yeah, what would this look like to write these kinds of songs? And you know, for me coming to the project as a worship leader, as somebody who has been you know for decades choosing songs on Sunday morning and thinking about how to lead people in worship, uh, we really in earnest kind of began those conversations about how do we bring these conversations about climate justice into the worship service in a very practical kind of a way. And so that was, uh, that's how we got off to the races. Wow. What, so from my seat, like I, I always find it interesting to see how people kind of got to where they are, you know, like that to me, that's, it's interesting because I think like, is it fair to say that both of you realize the need to sort of be incarnational in this work, but came at it from two maybe different starting points and, I want to go to, I mean, I'll give space to, is that, is that fair to say, Isaac? Like it's, like it's putting some flesh on, on the call, so to speak. On the call, on the call, on the call to, to step into the space of, you know, like the connection, that nexus point of, of our, of uh, our faith and climate justice of our faith and climate action, like, like really to enter into that. Is that, yeah. 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 I mean, I think that, uh, you know, one of my sort of favorite quotes of the 20th century uh, was Leslie Newbegin. Some of your listeners will be familiar with Newbegin, sure. who was a, basically an Anglican missionary to India who had a, a real focus on justice, particularly around clean water and and looking at the clean water crisis in India as a matter that, that Jesus was really concerned about, that his church should have been concerned about. Mm-hmm. And he faced, uh, you know, the 1940s and 50s, faced so many overwhelming challenges in the work that he was trying to do. And he was asked by a reporter when he came back uh, on a visit to London, you know, do you consider yourself uh, an optimist or a pessimist, you know, just given the, given the insurmountable odds that you face with, with what you're trying to accomplish in India? Uh, he said, you know, Newbegin, do you, do you consider yourself a, an optimist or a pessimist? And without hesitation, uh, Leslie Newbegin looks at the reporter and says, neither, Christ has risen from the dead. Mm. <laughs> and what I love about that, sort of impulse is recognizing that as Christians, we don't have to be afraid to say that something is insurmountable. Like we don't have to be afraid to say that the world is really broken. We don't have to be afraid to call something, um, to call something really dark and really discouraging. We don't have to minimize those things. Yeah. Um, but that at the core of Christian hope is this thing that we recite in the creed 
every week when we gather to worship that we believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so I think particularly as a, um, as a worship leader and as someone who's thinking about what does it look like to put God's promises onto the lips of God's people on Sunday mornings, that I think um, when you look at something like the kinds of fears and anxieties and worries that people rightly have about the future of our planet and the future of, of what it means to, to inhabit this world, um, that we both don't have to be afraid to say, yeah, things, things look pretty insurmountable. Things look very dire, but that we also get to look at it and say, but Christ is risen. And, and it feels to me like that's kind of what this album is. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I want to let that one sort of hang there for a minute, but, uh, so Peter, November 6th, 2021, tell us what happened on November 6th. 2021, we held a vigil on the sidelines of the UN Climate Change Conference in Glasgow, Scotland. And we did that in partnership with several Christian nonprofits and with our host, the organization Tear Fund, International Development Agency. We had the privilege of sharing some newly recorded songs from the Porter's Gates recording session uh, in Paris. So the symbolism of going from the Paris Agreement of 2015 in the international climate negotiation space to Glasgow in 2021 was there the music and, and if the, i could interject there was some yeah, logistical reasons because i because of me living in belgium and having some musicians over here on this side of the ocean paris said there was a logic to it too we didn't just all we didn't just ironically all pack up from the u.s and fly everybody right over the spin the big wheel and let's land somewhere I, no there I was some intent yeah <laughs> I, like I should name that that's the impetus for recording in paris is that that's where i was for sure was. yeah no sorry yeah. peter uh, well said we had an opportunity to reflect on the music um and to invite uh, participants in the, the conference in Glasgow to be part of a global vigil. So we have this vigil hub uh, at the St. George's Tron Church in central Glasgow. And then we also had about 30 other locations around the world with many of them in uh, the US and Canada. Uh, but also representation on four different continents. So what a, a beautiful way to begin and, and to do it in prayer, uh, through worship, lighting candles together. Uh, we were all inspired. Mm. It's awesome. It's a great picture. And so I guess I want to try and close the proximity gap because it's like I nice stories are nice stories and it's amazing stuff it's it's awesome and it's inspiring um but so our listeners like we are and myself like i uh, i i am a i am a worshiper at my church and i isaac i'd love to get sort of your sense of kind of what the connection is with worship like we we are sort of operating under the conviction uh and by i mean we like we who are sort of trying to organize this season of the Do Justice podcast, but we're operating on the conviction that worship shapes our imagination, that it broadens our understanding of who God is and and what the world God loves actually looks like. Um, so 
I guess the question is, how can this project shape our corporate worship so that it orients all of our hearts towards caring for creation? I know that that is like just a massive nebulous uh, <laughs> question, but how do we, how do we yeah. get into that? Well, you have asked a massive question, Chris. I, um, I, um, I think I want to answer it kind of in two parts. First, because you, you're, you're swinging wide here, uh, I want to go 10,000 feet up and just talk a little bit about what I think is kind of happening in worship and what, what's possible in worship, and then maybe answer the question a little bit more specifically. Um, really, really big picture, if your listeners will kind of indulge a little historical conversation. Um, one of the things that I come back to over and over again is that when it comes to social renewal, when it comes to social justice and conversations about how it is that our civic structures experience reform and renewal in massive ways, I am convinced that social renewal has to be preceded by imaginative renewal. The renewal of the imagination happens before reform in our institutions happens. Uh, there are so many examples of this, but just to name a couple in the 20th century, you know, there are many historians who would observe that the civil rights movement in the, in the United States was possible because 30 years earlier, the Harlem Renaissance happened and the Harlem Renaissance gave new kinds of vocabulary for what it meant to be African-American in the 20th century. Musicians, authors, choreographers, like people sort of redefining what that meant. So then when the civil rights movement came along in the sense there was a positive vision that that political movement was building on. Um, likewise with, uh, for your Roman Catholic listeners, there was a really similar thing that happened with the Catholic worker movement where the Catholic worker movement had to do with sort of a renewal of thinking about laborers and workers' rights, but it was preceded by the Catholic liturgical movement, which had an emphasis on basically bringing uh, justice more fully into uh, the Roman Catholic liturgy. Mm. But I also think that as much as those are kind of inspiring positive examples where this sort of the renewal of the imagination led to this kind of uh, to these like real policy sort of reforms. Um, I think the opposite is true, too. You know, some of your younger listeners may, may completely forgotten the fact that um, like in American history anyway, at the beginning of the 20th century, the United States made drinking alcohol against the law. You know, what a crazy thing that happened with prohibition, where for several years, you know, the United States Senate and Congress passed a law banning the drinking of alcohol. And they called that movement the temperance movement. That's what it was. That's what the name of the movement was. And it was very much a political movement aimed at ending um, the selling and the buying of alcohol in America. But pretty much all historians would agree that that movement failed. I mean, just, you know, sort of. Uh, in a very demonstrable way, it's it's now legal to drink in America, so it, it clearly didn't last. But what a lot of sociologists would point out about it was that that movement was 100% a political movement. And by the way, this is kind of getting closer to the thing about climate justice, I think, mm. that what happened with the temperance movement was it was a movement aimed so particularly at the legislative process that it missed people's hearts, that there was not an actual movement for this like virtue of temperance. That's not what was being re renewed. It was a shrill remonstrance. It was a movement that was based on, um, on condemnation, on judgment. It was a movement that, uh, that understood the problem as something that could be fundamentally solved legislatively. Mm. And I think the bitter fruits of that movement were that 
if anything, alcoholism in America actually became worse at the end of prohibition. You know, that, that there's a sense in which it was not a renewal of character, but it was actually setting in motion some of these really bad dynamics we have in the U.S. around shame and drinking and all that. Right. So anyway, thank you for sort of indulging me talking yeah. about these big picture things, but to apply that a little bit more specifically then to worship and specifically worship and climate justice, thinking about, uh, I, I've been struck at how, especially in conservative Christian circles, that conversations about the environment and conversations, especially around environmental justice, get perceived as being like totally political, just like, oh, that's just political stuff we don't want to talk about in church or something. Mm. And that um, that the church kind of has a problem in that area. Mm. But at the same time, I think that in some corners of the climate movement, the opposite problem is also true. I think that there are corners of the of the climate movement that are so apocalyptic and so focused on imminent doom and so focused on the legislative justice part that some parts of that movement kind of miss people's hearts. Right. Um, and so kind of coming all the way around to answer your question now about what is it that I hope you know, we can do with, with a project like this and what does it mean to bring it into the worship service? What my hope is, and this is, this kind of has to be Christian hope. I don't think this can really be like strategized. This is just, this is like the work of the Holy Spirit. But my hope is that by, you know, writing songs like these and creating worship resources like these, that what we're sort of beginning with is the beauty of biblical orthodoxy, that we're beginning with the truth and the beauty of here's the way that God has made the world. Hmm. Let's renew a generation's enthusiasm about how beautiful creation is. Let's talk about God's active participation in the world. Let's talk about how it is not just a miracle that Jesus turns water to wine, but it is a miracle that God turns water into grapes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that we have that song that I just love that it's always been water to wine. Yeah. Wanting to have that kind of imaginative renewal take place. And even when it comes to the lament songs, like sort of having the imaginative renewal of what it looks like to lament things that are broken and just to say, good Lord, deliver us, you know, to frame this conversation in that way where we're really trying to get at the heart. Um, and that the hope is that by bringing these songs into the church, where we're able to get at people's hearts in a more meaningful way, that then we're really setting the stage in, um, in healthier and more sustainable ways for this conversation to then move into the sort of sphere of social and political and legislative renewal. But um, don't get me wrong with any of that. I, it's not that I'm suggesting in any way that we don't need the legislative renewal. We absolutely do. In, in some ways, that's in some ways that's sort of like the whole point and the whole goal. Um, but at the same time, recognizing that um, recognizing that when cultures change in really dramatic ways, that that change from my perspective has to involve some sort of renewal of the imagination before it can involve the renewal of our institutions. There's a quote that I read recently uh, from, from Dr. Uh, William J. Barber. Um, Preachers don't get to stay out of politics. We are either chaplains of empire or prophets of God. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think like, I don't want to oversimplify what you just did, but I think like there's the, the prophetic element of, of the community of faith, you know, let's not abdicate that. Let's, let's, let's lean into that. Let's not just, you know, be this sort of community that does our thing on Sunday morning in a yeah, funny right. looking building. <laughs> let's step out. Sure. Peter, what, like, what about you? Like how, how can this project shape uh, what our worship looks like. 
how, how, for you, how, like, what's your hope for how it can orient our hearts? I love this question. And I think you spoke to it earlier when you talked about the way that many Christians, many of us think about worship as a musical experience. And yet we know, and we also talk about worship as a broader call to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Uh, And when Jesus was asked, what is required of me? He said, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And he didn't just say that. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself and equated the two. So when I think about worship and the kind of worship that this album and the various themes that are reflected in it uh, are calling us to do, it is that, to love God and love our neighbor. I see our climate emergency as a grand challenge to our capacity as Christians to worship in that way by loving God and loving our neighbor. We can't say we love God and throw this beautiful gift of creation into a landfill. Mm. Uh, Gehenna is the word used for the landfill adjacent to ancient Jerusalem. Uh, in other words, hell. Uh, we can't we can't bring heaven to earth or be part of that process by creating hell on earth through climate change and and other uh, crises that we're facing now. So that's one. Loving God means caring for God's creation and all those who rely on it. That's loving our neighbor, our our global neighbor, our literal neighbor, our children who are our neighbors generationally rely on the wholeness of God's creation and its life sustaining systems. And we have an opportunity and a calling and a duty to make sure that they have that to live on. It seems to me that's the minimum we can do in response to Jesus's commandments to love God and neighbor. Mm. And when I think about worship and I think about this album and all the songs that take us through the various facets of a worship experience, I also think about the way they inspire and encourage us to carry that into our Monday through Saturday lives. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I think has really impressed me and I'm, you know, we're going to, when, when we sort of come to the end of our conversation, I want to give you both uh, some space to talk about uh, where people can keep up with the work that you're doing. I know Peter, you, uh, the book, uh, the a million prayers to solve our climate crisis. It's 
something that I've had an opportunity to look into and just, uh, and, and Isaac, your, your work, your, your musical work, and even just hearing you talk now, like, um, I am super impressed with the way that you both really hold lament and hope, uh, just so well, like, like, you know, I, 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 I won't, I don't want to say I was nervous about our conversation today, but I do want to say it's like, sometimes I don't quite know how these conversations are going to go. And I just, you know, it's, um, it's, it's been really just super accessible for me, you know, um, and I know our listeners will feel the same way, but the question I want to get into, uh, for you, Isaac, and I want to hear from you, Peter, too. How have you been transformed by working on this project? Because I, I mean, I, I look at you both and I'm like, no, I want to be like these guys when I grow up. But, but I know it didn't just happen. I know it, I know it didn't just, I know it's been a journey, but can you tell us a little bit, uh, Isaac, about what, what transformation has happened in you working on this project? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, what you might describe as a coincidence or, you know, maybe more appropriately providence in this case, uh, it, it happened to be the case that as Peter and I started this conversation, I mean, just a few weeks after we started, uh, I moved from the USA to Belgium with my wife and my four kids. And when we moved here, um, to do, and we moved to do this uh, graduate program. When we moved here, uh, still really deep in the pandemic lockdowns in Europe, a lot of things were closed. Uh, where we live in Belgium is kind of a rural area. And so it just kind of ended up being the case that as we moved here, we really got into a, uh, a very regular habit of walking, you know, one or two hours a day, doing these nature walks and walking through, walking along the riverbanks and all these things. And so, you know, simultaneously, we're having these sort of theological conversations about climate justice and then uh, practically speaking, I'm with my my wife and our kids and we're having these very regular experiences of spending time in nature in a way that we had not been up to that point. And of course, the flora and the fauna, it's very different. The birds, there's pheasants and swans everywhere here. It's very beautiful, very pastoral. Mm. Uh, and so as we're having these experiences, my wife and I were sort of talking about the beauty of the place and we're talking about creation. Um, but then simultaneously, my wife is reading um, some indigenous literature around sort of indigenous views of um, of the world, the created world. Uh, during the course of this project, we did a series of interviews with uh, Mark Charles, who's um, an indigenous theologian who uh, lives in Washington, D.C., and he did some coaching with our songwriters about thinking about the indigenous imagination for creation and how does that, how can that be in conversation with sort of talking about biblical views of creation? And um, and so it's all just to say that I think the combination of both having these conversations and the fact that in my family we were spending all this time outside, uh, we began in my family over the course of 2021 to really have a pretty transformed view of um, of how we talked about um, nature, agriculture, about talking about flora and fauna and creatures. It kind of set us on a path where we're watching these different nature documentaries and learning about, you know, fantastic fungi and, and all these things. And really having this, uh, having these conversations with our kids about the, the created world that were much different than the conversations we had growing up. Like having conversations with our kids where we're actually presenting the created world 
as much more of a place that God is actively involved. And, you know, I think of that sort of Colossians passage about God upholding all things by the word of his power, that he has not wound up a clock, but that God is actually deeply at work, not just in the changing of the seasons, but in the growing of the grass and in the way that he provides food for the wild animals and in the ways that, uh, that he renews the face of the earth. So I think maybe one of the most transformative aspects for me has just been physically stepping outside of, of my house, like to sort of inhabit the created world and inhabit the created world now with sort of a new set of lenses, thinking about how much there is to rejoice over, um, how much there is to lament and sort of what hope we have and how God is actually sustaining all things in a way that I think, especially before this project, before moving to Belgium and before the pandemic, that I was pretty, um, I was pretty oblivious to. Thanks, Isaac. And Peter, for you. How has it been a transformative experience? It has ruined my life in the best way. Yeah. Wow. I thank you both. I think, uh, how do I say this? Thank you both for saying yes. <laughs> and thank you both for um, collaborating and providing uh, such a, a beautiful on-ramp and opportunity for so many others like myself to say yes with you really quick. I know, you know, we've, I feel like we've just scratched the surface, <laughs> but I'd love to have you both back on um, again to, I feel like we could probably go another hour. Um, but how, uh, start with you, Peter, how can, how can folks uh, catch up with what you're doing and stay up to date with the work that you're doing? Thanks for asking. We have a page where folks can find the album assets and it's climatevigil.org forward slash album. Pretty simple. But from there, you can learn about Climate Vigil, you can learn about the album, and you can sign up to be involved in the movement. And what that looks like is uh, hosting or participating in a local climate vigil and we are calling people to show up uh, in their community whether it's at their church or whether it's in the town square to bear witness and to do it together recognizing that none of us can do this by ourselves god can do it and god can do it through us together so uh, we're excited to call people out in the best way possible. And we're looking forward to hosting vigils across uh, our communities across the world in mid-September. So we'll be sharing more information about that with those who have signed up to do it. Awesome. Yeah, and for our listeners, if you wanna get that information and we'd love to hear back to uh, from you, like are, are, is this something that you wanna do in your community? Is this something that you wanna do? Uh, you know, in your church. Um, yeah, let us know. We'd, we'd love to hear that story. And for you, Isaac, how can folks uh, keep up to date with what you're doing and, and just find out more? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, first of all, I want to echo Peter's sentiments uh, that those are all kind of great ways to continue to get involved in a deeper way and then speak specifically to the worship experience. Um, I think that there are multiple tiers of entry for people who are involved in leading worship, planning worship, 
volunteering and worship for different ways to engage with these songs uh, in a in a really practical way on a Sunday morning, or it may be in your worshiping community that meets on a weeknight or whenever. Uh, it might be that you're part of a worshiping community that's already really deeply invested in this conversation about environmental justice. And if you're already, if your community is already there and you're already invested, uh, I think that we have some songs that really go deep. You know, I think that for a community that's kind of already there, that there are these lament songs like the all creatures lament, that there are these, um, that there are these uh, sort of calls to, um, to, search our hearts, like songs like Good Lord, Deliver Us, that really speak to some of the issues around environmental justice in a head-on, very um, very fearless kind of a way. But then maybe you're part of a church congregation that, uh, that has not started the conversation, and it kind of feels like, how do we start talking about it? Um, well, another way that you might think about it is that um, so many of our communities are facing real environmental challenges like on an annual or seasonal basis. Um, it is not unusual around the country that in any given season, whether it's hurricanes or increased forest fires, whether it's droughts, that there are so many environmental ch challenges that our actual lived in communities are facing to really keep your ears open and say, all right, this coming Sunday, we really, it makes sense. This is a point of entry for us to address what is happening in the physical world that we live in. And we have some songs in this album that are going to feel really, really pastoral for those moments, you know, that even if your church is not a church that typically is talking about environmental justice, that maybe if your church is located in parts of California that are experiencing a drought right now, that when you're praying for God's renewal of creation, that there are songs like Hosanna, will you rise? That is a that is a call to God, a call out to God, God, will you rise in this area? Like, will you meet us? Will you deliver us in this way? Hmm. And then finally, maybe even not to just keep lowering the bar, but even if you're uh, even even if you're in a church situation that maybe doesn't that where maybe neither one of those things applies, where it feels like okay, our church isn't really ready to have this conversation, uh, but and we don't really have any natural on ramps of environmental things that we're talking about. Uh, this this record also has two or three songs that are really joyful in nature. Um, they're joyful with really biblical language that actually fits in pretty easily to most um, kind of Christian expressions of worship on a Sunday, but that they have lyrics that are just, just provocative enough to sort of provoke our imaginations into looking at creation in a new way, whether that song's like declaring glory or God of grace and mystery or water to wine. These are songs um, that are upbeat, that are, uh, that are biblical in their themes, but that do sort of prick our imaginations to look around and see creation in a new way. And so, so my challenge would really be that whatever kind of worshiping community you're in, that we hope there's something here uh, in this collection of songs that could help your worshiping community go one step deeper in this conversation about um, climate justice. Mm. Our guests today have been Peter Fargo, co-founder of The Climate Vigil, and Isaac Wardell, creative director of the Porter's Gate. Uh, thank you both for being with us today. Thanks for saying yes. And like I said before, thanks for making it possible for us to say yes. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. What a blessing. The Do Justice podcast is produced and edited by World Renew in partnership with the Office of Social Justice and Center for Public Dialogue of the Christian Reformed Church of North America. Our opening theme was written by Quetzalcoatl. 
Transitions, provided by Valentin Sosnitsky. Until next time, remember that the Lord is righteous, He loves justice, and the upright will see His face. Mm-hmm.